Welcome to another episode of In The Change Room, made just for you by Bride Rock. I'm Gobani Bobo, your host. Um, we here today um, uh, with the distinguished gentleman, uh, Johan Kutsia, uh, sports editor of the Supersport.com. Uh, the rugby man on the pulse of the game who's probably having so much fun with this World Cup. And on the other side, I've got Diaval Potrita, a man who's played rugby all over the world. He's played in France, Japan. I mean, you remember him with those big hits that he used to put out those days uh, playing for the Bulls. And it's good to have you, gentlemen. How's things? How's, how's it been? I mean, the man from the Eastern Cape now is back at home. How's life? Life is good, yeah. Uh, six years on the road, um, which is about four years more than I wanted to do. But um, <laughs> yeah, really, really good to be back uh, and, and yeah, going well and excited. Yeah, and uh, it's been a, it's been a, it's been quite a World Cup. It's uh, for it's been so much riveting in the way things have panned out. Um, there's a chat of a typhoon might be coming, which could have influence in the quarterfinals. I mean, um, it's 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 whatever you wanted, and it's all the drama in Japan. Yeah, that's the thing. Japan, is, everything is bigger in Japan, and and it includes the fan reaction. Oh, it looks so much fun there, doesn't it? Everybody's involved. The fan parks apparently are all packed everywhere, not even next to the stadiums. Everyone's getting involved. The whole country's buying into this, and uh, if that. If that uh, typhoon comes through and that brings Japan into the playoffs, imagine that. The thing will just explode. Hi, my name is Sabela Sanatla. I'm Paul True. Hi, I'm Carl Brown. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to In the, the Change Room. room. Just to go at it, fellas, um, we've seen the Springboks. Springboks have, have played against uh, Canada. And uh, it, was, it was a game that I don't think Canada, Canadians want to remember too soon. Um, but that's not the chat. We're looking straight into the quarterfinals. I mean, for me, most interesting is... Who does Rossi pick for the 23? I don't think it's going to change that much from the one that played against Italy. I think Italy was that run out. Is I think if anything, Alkis Neyman maybe put his hand up as a uh, starting ahead of Lutna, uh and and a case can be made for Sabrinkosi also, especially since he, he was really good on the high ball against Canada. Uh, but but other than that, I think the, that team that started against Italy would be the team. I mean, for, for me, I, I look at teams and, and um, I mean, you've been in so many changes as going back to what we're here for. How do you, how do you see the change room, the, the Springbok change room at the moment and the way that people are sort of like sinking in and, and, and getting into these playoffs? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing is that the team has a, a strong idea of what the identity is, what the, you know, what the vision is for this team. Um, think back... Back to when we used to play playoff rugby at the Bulls, um, that was something that we took for granted. But you can never over underestimate or overestimate how important it is um, for a team for people to know their roles, and that only comes with time. Um, the quarterfinals, obviously, it, it seems like an ad hoc game, but I'm pretty sure that Rossi has done a lot of research and, and, and planning, and the team that's going to be running out, I think he's had it at the back of his mind for a long time now. Hopefully, those players have known it as well, because I think knowing that you know the coach has confidence in you, it does a lot for you in a big game like that when you know when the stakes are high. Um, you want to you want to be going on the field with no shackles at all. I'm pretty sure Rossi is busy cultivating that sort of environment. Yeah, for, for, uh, it's, it's like. Um I think team and, and squads are very important, especially how the the extra uh, squad players and the, the the depth that you have, how they sort of help you to to prepare and and really question and really push each other. Because 
keeping that morale up is important. I mean, you're dealing with egos, you're dealing with young men's dreams where they've, they've based mostly off their career and this could be a legacy that they write for themselves. So the importance of everyone sort of feeling that they're sitting all in the round table, it, it's hard to manage, but it's something that they'll have to do it now. Yes, I think thinking back now, that's culprits come, coming back and getting out of retirement. Now we know why. Because this is, I'll tell you what, the happiest dirt tracker team I've ever seen at a World Cup. And it shows on the field. There's always smiles. They're enjoying it. And they know maybe they're not in starting there. They're not going to play the big games. That maybe was Colt last game and a Springbok jersey. He doesn't mind. He's there to do work for the squad. It's the entire squad working for each other. And you can see that unity. And you can see the guys that aren't in the starting 15 actually still enjoying it. it it's, yeah. it's still part of the journey, part of the fun. I, I think it's a very healthy, very healthy culture they've got at, at the moment there. That was interesting. I was speaking to wait. Let me just name drop Skalk Berger, <laughs> and um, and uh, he was telling me how he and uh, Juan Smith, when they used to play in the loose forwards, it was an interesting sort of uh, relationship that they had. Um, Scala, as you know, he's much more relaxed, very laid back dude, walks around as if like he couldn't care. I mean, not. The one guy was going to be trying to break everyone at training, but you know when he crosses that line on a Saturday, well, hell, breaks loose, right? And then Juan on the other side, very intense, uh, a different character, but get him in the change room just before a World Cup final. He's a, that's the only time Skulk said everything was in sync because all of a sudden now they're sitting around and like telling jokes to each other, calming the nerves. And that's the time that they used to see each other like in that space. The time when the bulls were running and really roving. I mean, there must have been something that you could not probably sort of see, but you knew that everyone sort of was in the one track. Yeah, I think, especially in a, in a high-performance team, and we've kind of touched on it now, it's about, and this might sound strange, but it's about knowing your place given a particular context. Um, I remember at the Bulls, I, a guy like Frida Priya used to be, a, you know, he was a mastermind tactician. Um, and I used to compete running with the pot of forwards when there's me and it's Donny Rousseau and it's PSP, so I would never get the ball. Um, <laughs> and I, I knew it and I, you took, I hated you it, it <laughs> but I, I knew that obviously Free's not going to make a wrong decision. Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you put yourself as a wrong decision? <laughs> well, yeah, Give well, yourself credit, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So what it, it made me do is I yeah. tried to reinvent the way that I ran lines to make you know gaps for the guys next to me. So it was about accepting in a pe certain pecking order, in a certain context of the game when you're running up against big forwards, mm. probably better off giving the ball to Donnerus. So mm. I'll try and, and, and just you know create a bit of diversion on the outside. Sure. And then there was the odd chance when, when Free actually saw that it was on and he would always play it. So mm. it's, that's like a little mini move in a game where sure. you kind of have to understand who you're working with, what your yeah. position is. Um, and then in the larger context of the team sport as well, when you've got guys that are starting, guys that are on the bench. Mm. bench uh, Yuan mentioned, you know, the dirt trackers, actually how essential they are. Uh, for the morale of the team. These are the guys that the guys are training against. Mm. So being able to be motivated, offering the guys what they need um, yeah, in terms of on the training pitch. And then there's just the support. It, it makes a hell of a difference for a guy starting to know that the guy that's that's going to replace him has his back as well. Um, I had a great res uh, relationship with Donny Rousseau in that regard. 
uh, mm. over the years where Donnie always said that he you know he, he he's more than happy to to come off the bench you know because he thinks I'm a, I'm a player that's it's, it's honest I, I play a hard game so when you are able and it takes it takes some time playing together to be able to cultivate such a relationship but it is invaluable we had it at the Bulls at the time a lot of mutual respect it was the way we did things it was mm. about you know there's a team Mm. That comes first, and and let's see how we can contribute and and kind of find your place and develop something for yourself within you know that framework. Oh, this, it's a it's a very interesting because uh, I've sat in sort of sort of many different change rooms. <laughs> it's not my fault. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I just wanted to explore and see. Um, I remember I remember being in a change room with um with the with the Lions back in the day in a Curry Cup. I mean, this is a time when. Um, there's still the Tri-Nations and you, the Springboks come back and they sort of like bolster the team and after that it's all just dominoes. You know, you, the guys were starting or you go all the way out of the side, the 22 those days and um, and, and Yapo Mulder just made it back. So I was... I was thinking to myself, mm, I'm fine, Yopi I'll play on the wing. <laughs> Yapi has a bit of a reputation, I can imagine. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and uh, it, was, it was a big game, a sellout game. No, I'm kidding. We went to Valcom and we're playing against the Griffins. <laughs> <laughs> the Purple Man Eaters were out there. And it was, it was an interesting, interesting game. Just to see how um, he sort of, as a character in this game. So he, he comes off and uh, he gets into the change room. He's all jolly, he's all laughing, and he's always just having a little chat with Smiley on the side and mostly very, like, not for the kids to hear type of stories. <laughs> and and, uh, and, and uh, so you think to yourself, hmm, that's interesting, because you always look up to these seniors and the senior professionals. I mean, you think about things that they've done, tackle John Alomo and all of that, and then uh, he sort of comes off, and uh, just before we kick off, so I'm... I'm busy hanging out next to the closest guys that I know in this team. And you're going to hang out next to the youngest ones. So I'm there next to Joe Fanny-Kirk and Conrad. You know, you know, not getting used to that thing that centers together, locks together. And he calls me over. And he gives me this, like, you know, like a shoulder check touch. I thought he dislocated my shoulder just before the game. But, I mean, he sort of pulled me in and he's like, let's go. And then he just, after that... He just roared like a lion. He started jumping up. He was going nuts. And he just wanted to kill everyone. He was just going, let's kill, kill, kill. How much How much does the, like, especially for, for you, Johan, like, for a singer from the outside, like, those characters in the game, how, how much is that needed now when it comes to these, like, pressure situations in terms of the World Cup uh, playoffs? I suppose it depends on the team culture itself. Uh, there's a couple of things, and you're more qualified, both of you are more qualified to talk about that, but what I can see from the outside mm. is there's two types of, of, maybe more, but two that that recognisable to me. The one is the angry change room before a game. Yeah. They, they try and anger each other up, and the other one is very, very happy, the, the, the blitz box, the, the mm. barbarians change room. They just sing songs, they, and, and when the song reaches the crescendo, that's when they, that's when they jog on, and they're excited, and they play, and they, they, they feel like they're dancing. I don't know which is more successful. I know both of you are not the average rugby player. Sure. What, what type of, uh, let's call it, build up to a game that you prefer? Well, yeah, I think this probably depends on um, from player to player. I've been in change rooms where the, <laughs> and especially when you go overseas, there's a lot, a, a lot more of a mix in the change room where we would have three guys from Samoa that would insist on listening to Bob Marley in the player yeah. in the changing room, and then we have a few of the. Um, 
uh, our English players who really, really hated that sort of thing. They wanted to kind of have it quiet. Um, you know, South Africans were kind of chilled, read the match day program. And, uh, <laughs> Standard. Uh, yeah, you know, just read their own profiles. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, your own story on Instagram in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Francois got busy tweeting his jersey. Um, you know, there's space for everyone in a, in a team environment like that. I think when it's a team culture thing, that's a bit different when you're an angry changing room you know knocking heads i've never been a part of something like that we had guys i mean guthrow we'd had to settle him down mm. uh you know as it Guzman. as it approached the game mm. guthrow would just be trying to, to to just rev everyone up uh you know a lot of war talk a lot yeah. of uh you know uh, death and destruction and you know some guys would yeah. just ignore it yeah, yeah, yeah wouldn't yeah. really just but, bounce off that but you sort of understand that you understand that's his character and, and you know what if guthrow didn't do that then sure. someone would say no something's not We're Right. We don't have that. Something is not something is not good, yeah. Yeah, and you know, other guys would be I mean Mornay staying hard to mm. to keep a straight face with Mornay in the change room because sure. he would always then try and break the mood and he would chirp the guys. We would you know do that little drill when you do the hands and yeah, you yeah. call the guys the wrong names and, <laughs> and catching the ball and they'd be like you just kind of just shut them up a little bit. Which is probably good. Because, you know, for some guys it's better to not get too intense in that sort of situation. And, and it, it was funny, we kicked off against the Blues in Auckland. So I was at the Sharks at the moment, so we ran on and it was like the Blues, I mean, we really needed to win. And uh, so we all come into this huddle. So no one was waiting for the cannon to be shot. So they shot this cannon massive boom sound and one of the first things i did I, I looked around i looked at the people who flinched and it was my tight five you know how worried do you get as a center <laughs> when you're seeing your tight five flinching from a cannon and i was thinking what the hell's going on here the third annual bright rock players choice awards brought to you by bright rock and my players the south african rugby players organization will be held at the park at Hyde Park on Tuesday, the 19th of November, 2019. The awards held by players for the players are the only of their kind in South Africa and sees professional rugby players from SA's 14 unions vote for their top players across six award categories. The awards ceremony will see professional South African rugby players honor and acknowledge their peers for playing the bounce over the past season. Limited tickets available to the public from Friday, the 4th of October from TicketPro. Yeah, the World Cup, uh, there's been a whole lot in the, in the, talking about the referees and the, and the red cards and discipline and some more. I think they got two players who already got banned in, this, in their first game for three games, which meant that that could have been their last game. As some more we know, they won't progress to the quarterfinals. Just for you, how, how, how have you taken it, Johan? Like the, 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 the way the inconsistencies, I think, has been the word that has been branded about. I think I think the the word I'll brandy about is uh, ignorance. It's been clearly everybody had to know the new guiding system, the new guidelines that World Rugby put out about how how they evaluate high tackles. It, it wasn't news to me. So every time one of those decisions were made, you could see the logical process that's being followed. Yeah. Uh, and for for guys like Michael Checker to come out, well Eddie Jones also, a lot of the coaches. I don't know what's what's wrong with the game. I don't know what's happened. I don't know the rules. Um, they should have. You, you're just saying you never did the homework, and, and I don't know. It's, I, I haven't seen much on inconsistencies. I think what we did see is the TMO becoming far more involved w w in picking up foul play. 
So that that is more it happens more frequently than it did in previous World Cups. So therefore, it seems as if refs have lost the, but it's still foul play. Look at the the, the red card against uh, the Springboks. Uh, that mm. was you know that that no one saw it in real time. Sure. And then the game got stopped, and they went back to that. So. At, in previous times, the TMO wouldn't have stopped the game and said he wanted to look at that, and nobody would have noticed. So now the game seems as if it's dirtier, but it's not really. We're just starting to nail down. But it's still a red card. It's like, you can't go shoulder to a guy's head. It's a red card. I'm sorry. That's yeah. I mean, I mean the 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 action was was a terrible movement. I mean, yeah. can I make it's, this? It's like professional courtesy sometimes, where you think if 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 I hit you in such a bad way that you can't play a game. It's, I mean, you know that you have to be competitive, but at the same time, yeah. you have to have the cognizance of knowing that you're dealing with a person and a fully professional. Yeah. You don't want to do that. I mean, there is, you do get sometimes the, a bit of, uh, yeah, get the red mist and things happen. You don't, <laughs> you, the game hasn't gone soft because we're targeting really dangerous players. The game is still very physical. Yeah. In fact, more physical than it ever was. You're just trying to the real, the real dirty bits. Get rid of that. There's nothing wrong with that, and I think the entire world should be behind that instead of bickering. I don't understand why they're bickering about it. What's What's your take, Devolt? Yeah, I have to say I agree. I think, and you'll probably find that. But again, this is heavily influenced by my own bias. But, um, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> players, you'll probably find that the, the 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 teams that are habitual offenders in this regard will be teams that typically are either these highly emotional guys, the kind of guys we spoke about earlier sure. that will run with their heads against walls, or your minnows that typically take 50, 60 points. Uh, you know, and a couple it's of times. It's frustration. It's it's these sorts of things, which, and uh, I always. Was very, I was very aware of how emotion is very useful, but it's also very dangerous in terms of when the red mist does come. Mm. Um, so, and I can just picture how uh, Michael Checker team talk goes before a game, getting guys involved. I don't think it necessarily brings out the best in players. I actually mm. think that guys end up making mistakes, not just in terms of, of playing outside of the law of the game, but even just playing outside of the structure and the system mm. of the team. And when, when players go outside, try and solve certain situations mm. themselves, you know. So um, I, I am for it. I think if anything, if we can get more intelligent play and and, sure. and, and, and and less side shows, I think it's better for rugby. I mean tell us tell us about your 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 situation. I mean Digby and Whitney's story. I mean yeah, two thousand bit of background on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There's this famous tweet you once showed of Storytellers Rugby Edition and, and with the Digby honey that is yeah please, yeah please tell us the story. Yeah, I'm actually the biggest hypocrite because two things. <laughs> That's really exactly why I brought it in, Dean, because yeah. you weren't in. <laughs> yeah, the, so just some context here. So I broke through into Super Rugby in 2008. And at the time, the Bulls team was pretty established, having won 2007. Yeah. And I think I was at the time, I was one of the only guys that actually had to play himself into the team where it wasn't someone that was finishing. Sure. I had Pietri Vanneberg ahead of me at the time. Um, 2009, I played a few good games, but uh, Coach Franz Ludico was very reluctant to, to make a, a change yeah. for me to be a starting player. Then end of season, Bulls, we didn't do well in 2008. I had a good preseason. I, was, I had a great uh, Curry Cup. I was feeling good. Um, and then I still recall 
Johan van Gron came to me in the gym before the season started and he's like, okay, what's your goals for the year? And I said, I just yeah. want to start this first game. That's all I want. He's like, no, but okay, what about the season? Do you see yourself vying for higher, <laughs> sure. higher honors? I said, I don't care about that. Just let me start the first game against yeah. the Red and the rest will take care of itself. And the game comes, we play the Reds and uh, I'm in the starting lineup. My first start uh, for Super Rugby. Very excited, very emotional. Yeah. Um, first kickoff. What, what did you do like leading up to that game? Like, I probably day, listened on the to, day, to uh, hard rock music and, yeah. uh, you know, um, didn't speak to my, to, to, to my parents or my girlfriend at the time. It's just like... Probably, yeah, got to the, yeah, four hours ahead of the game, I would just rock up with my headphones and not speak to anyone and just really, which is, again, why I'm a hypocrite because I started out as, as being a, that very emotional player. Yeah. Um, anyways, kickoff, they kick straight onto Digby and I see that he's kind of running towards, just to, across my channel towards yeah. the left. But yeah. I know, we've seen some videos, Digby's got a good step on him, yeah. only off the right foot, so yeah. I know I'm in the business here. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of lining up Stachmann on my left-hand side, but yeah. I know it's coming. Yeah, so yeah. I'm prepared for it. You're the catch-up defender. Oh, and he steps, and he's right into the hitting zone. Full shoulder contact. Yeah. Hit the ground. I look up, Digby is running 50 meters behind me. <laughs> Zane Kirshner has to sort him out. Otherwise, our and first it, and game. And this is the first shot you first, put in. And all I wanted to do was start a game for the Bulls. My first, my first moment, I end up missing attack on Digby, and I'm like, oh my god, this is this is this, this is, is a, bad. This, this is a start of nightmares. This is a start of nightmares. Anyways, it, we end up winning the game, and things go on, but that scarred me. Yeah. Scarred me. And then for about three, four years. Yeah, I was. I was. I you was in the hunt. I was in the hunt on the prowl, <laughs> waiting for Digby. I was like, you know what? I don't. No one else knows about this. But yeah, yeah. This is but it's a personal. Me and him. It's, it's a personal. personal. It's personal. And he probably knows. Yeah, he me and he thinks, yeah, 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 I, yeah. I've got this. I've got this. <laughs> and so Yanu from Mark uh, in 2012 put up a, or 2013. I can't remember if it was then, but sure. a perfect box kick. Yeah. And I, if you watch the video, I was kind of next to the fly-off and I saw Digby's in line and I kind of changed my channel. I almost pushed someone out of the way and the, and the timing was good and, oh. and the shoulder was strapped oh. and the contact was, was glorious. Iwani. Oh, Herod Podgita. The boys on the bench felt it as well. That it was explosive. <laughs> that is redemption. I love it from the, the, the wide shot because you just see someone coming and then they just get off the screen and it's just like, oh, that was mode. That was so, so mode. Perfect. On that note, as we do in each episode, we listen to a snippet from halftime chat with uh, Stephen Gessie. And this week he speaks to former Springbok wingers Akunendungane and Ordua. Odwa, life after rugby. How has life after rugby been? Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, it, it be, it's been quite a tough adjustment. And I think uh, a lot of rugby players would, or rather professional sportsmen, go through the same thing because I don't think the career that we have, uh, the careers that we have, there's nothing compares to it uh, on the uh, when you finish playing, you know, because it's such a it's such because you're doing you are you are you are living your dream and you are getting paid for it and you are competing week in week out. So you know it, it's been a bit tough, I, I think, you know, because uh, uh, you you kind of miss it. 
in fact, not kind of, you definitely miss it. And I never thought I would miss it. You know, when I finished playing, when I finished playing for 15, 16 years, I thought I want to break away from the game and not be involved in any way at all. Management, coaching, mentorship, I didn't want any of that. I just wanted to do something completely different. But then I was so wrong because what I realized three, four months down the line, I actually was not complete. There was something missing in my life. And, uh, you know, and that's one thing that I want to be involved a lot more in now, helping the guys and making sure I tell the guys that, you know what, you need to be mentally prepared. You need to know what you're going to do. And it must be something that you love, that you're going to move on to. Because if you... If you, if you don't if you don't prepare for what's coming, then you'll really struggle to adjust. So, in other words, life after playing rugby for so long, there's a lot of changes in your life, a lot of transformation, and afterwards you have to really put your mind into it because a lot of change. It is a different world. Mm. How has the change been from you from going professional rugby to moving to the next sphere of your life? Yeah, I think even for me, um, you know, um, when you're playing and you're at your peak and you're on your high. Um, some of the former players, you know, would come to Loftus and say, listen, the adjustment is not easy. Um, and you don't, you know, really let it sink in. Mm. You just be like, ah, it's fine. I'm still playing. I'm still enjoying my time. And you never think about a couple of years after. Um, and I think, like my brother said, it's all about the planning. It's so important to have a plan. Be sure to listen to the full-length interview on the Halftime Chat with Sivan Gessi. To find it, search for In The Change Room on Iono FM, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Devil, you, we spoke earlier and you said you're officially retired in May, but I know you've, you've had a couple of plans and a couple of things lined up because you were, you were struggling with injuries towards the end of your career. Um, what, what were those and, and do you agree? Is it, is it planning? Is that the big key to transition into normal life? Yeah, Johan, I think planning is essential, but you know it only goes so far as well. I was lucky in the sense that um, the many injuries I unfortunately had towards the end of my career did quite a job in weaning me off it. Whereas I started my career on quite a high, went overseas, and then I had uh, you know a few injury struggles towards the back of it, which kind of makes you broaden your horizons and look at other opportunities. Um, I was lucky enough to to enroll for an MBA whilst I was over in the UK. Um, back in South Africa now, uh, you know, I've got a company which develops uh, service stations. So I'm probably one of the luckier guys and one of the, I would say, success stories in that regard. But many players, and I think Ghani Twins mentioned it as well, guys are finding it really tough. I think the clubs aren't doing much. I think uh, I had a conversation with my friend Ryan Kankowski about this in the week. I actually asked him a question at a golf day about how much all the clubs doing was it different at the Sharks and the Bulls. And he said they did absolutely nothing in that regard. Uh, so you find that players, once they, they finish, they can plan all they want. But unless they either have a, a, an uncle that has a business or they, um, you know, they borrow seven million rand from mm. their father, you know, or any form of nepotism, you know, it's really hard for these guys to find something else to go into because they're behind the pack. And this is where I think clubs need to start using their networks to get players involved with businesses whilst they are still players and they need to invest in them educate them whilst they are still players because a player is not going to make that decision by himself because as we've all seen they think they can play the game for an extended period of forever, time forever yeah. because when you're strong you think you can do it um quick comment on saracens because that's what they do isn't it they uh they 
they pay you just what the salary cap allows you, and then they open a business with you, Nigel Ray. And then, you know, by the time you finish it, you've got your money, but you've also got this growing business, a property business or whatever it is. Is that maybe a model? It's 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 definitely a model. I think, um, and I've I've spent quite a lot of time with uh, Ed Griffiths, who was was kind of the mastermind behind what we call the Saracens model. Um, and players, you will find, especially towards the back end of their careers, will play for even less than they could earn if they were marquee players at other clubs when there's other bits of value. Guys, start looking at those things. Start looking at the, you know, the, the, the end of rugby uh, situation. And if clubs can, and I think actually in terms of the South African t- context where we have to compete with the yen and the euro and pound going forward, we have to find other ways of creating value for our players because we cannot compete with the currency. Uh, and I think if, if, if clubs start looking at it from this from that kind of perspective, I think we might find that, that a lot of our, our, our Springboks, young Springboks will actually become journeymen at the clubs because they understand the power of a network and building a reputation in a business, which will then be there for them the day they decide to stop playing. And uh, Kubani, if you'd go the other route and you, and you, you choose to stay involved in rugby as you are, mm. uh, as, does that make a transition easier or is it, is no. it also but risky? No, like I think, I think um, retirement for any uh, professional sports person it almost feels like as if you back in uh, what they call it the young people nowadays, grade eight. Mm. Uh, you've just done your little junior school and now you go into real life and you start to have to take the responsibilities because, I mean, you know, from till about grade seven, you're living in this little bubble where things are sort of um, uh, given to you. you. You're just in a reactional uh, mindset where it's, this time, this routine, this is what happens, yeah, this is what happens, yeah. You find players sort of, you get so used to that um, routine, it's hard for them to break away from that. And they always constantly need something that sort of replicates the sort of same intensity and their whole competitive edge and all of those things. Those are the things that they have to deal with emotionally. Not They don't get a chance to get prepared for that because it's... Um, it's almost there, there's there's such a a situation where it's no one really wants to take responsibility of that from the agents to to the clubs um, to to just everything. I mean, um, giving giving a chance and an opportunity where you can uh, broaden the player's sort of perspective about how life is and what he needs to do. I think that even gets the best out of the players. Because now there's no longer the whole anxiety of what I'm going to do afterwards. And by broadening their horizons a bit, it opens up the players' minds to start becoming um, decision makers and problem solvers who come into this space and want to add more value to it. I think that's the mindset that Dilvald sort of speaks about. That's where you want to take it to. It's difficult when you finish the plan is always a plan until someone knocks you in the face and then you sort of go back. I mean, I've, I've had um, a situation where uh, for because for, I needed the routine when I finished. I just started, I bumped into one of the mates that uh, used to mentor me when back in the day in Cape Town, I went to work for Huntless Garris in advertising, which was a good gig. But I didn't understand it. I just left school, so I was like, 
jeepers, I have to dress up every day. I hate this. <laughs> um, and uh, he put me into his um, into his team, and uh, they were doing. Um, I became a sales rep for liquor. So but that that is the dream job. So I I mean I'm just I'm just finished playing rugby, you know. What I mean, <laughs> I'm driving around with liquor in my a, car. That's a smooth transition. I mean, I mean, can you imagine getting pulled over? I'm just like, no, no, sorry, so I can't give you anything. <laughs> you know, but it was it was interesting for me because I needed that routine. I needed to have something that makes me wake up in the morning and just and and, and to find out what was what is it that I really wanted to do. Because it's all good to flash your money and try and put money and you invest into something, whatever you've you've saved, and then you find out actually that's not the business that you want to get into. So for me, I I thought that gave me a chance now to start to realize what I wanted to do and get into. So it's a very important to have a plan. It's very important to stay. Um, what can I say? Stay on the know whilst you're still playing. Give yourself a chance to grow as a person. And the more knowledge that you have, the more times you can spend with um, mentors and different people not in your space so that at the end you can bring those resources back and use it. Devot, I want to pick up on what you said. For end-of-career players who take less money if the perks otherwise are good. Is that maybe the reason we're starting to see European-based players coming coming back to South Africa to come finish their careers here? I think so. I think a, that's a big part of it because... You've probably amassed about as much wealth at that time, having played overseas for many years as, as you. And then you make decisions. There's young kids involved. You know, grandma and grandpa might be back home. I think lifestyle makes a big difference. I think people talk about going overseas and earning money. But living in the UK, comparing that to the kind of lifestyle you have in South Africa, it, it's, you know, it is incomparable, really. So I think guys make decisions based on different reasons, different motivations than they would when they necessarily go over. Um, I know for a fact that had the injuries not hit me, I would have seriously considered coming back for just one or two seasons, possibly also affording me the opportunity to then get involved in something else. I think that's also a big part of why yeah. it happens. Players will come and play their last one or two seasons here if they've identified that South Africa is going to be the place where they want to eventually. They want to raise the kids. They want to raise and the kids. That's where they want to put down the so, roots. So yeah, I think that. And again, we spoke earlier about about clubs and uh, understanding their clients, players to a certain extent are also clients of the club. Um, and, and if you understand that that's important to a particular player when, he, when once he reaches mid-30s, I mean, that's a, yeah. that's something that can be used to get some of our guys back. Good, good or bad thing, Bobs? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. Um, uh, I see the influence that our sort of uh, top players and marquee players go overseas and you almost give that intellectual property to other younger generations of England, France, yeah. Japan, uh, and that's um, something that we don't have. Most of our senior players in, in Super Rugby, they're the ages of 26. Whilst but the prime of the players where you can help with uh, preparation, mindset, how you do things, how you approach everything, I think we'll miss out on that. And it's important to show that loyalty and it's important to get those players back because out of sight is out of mind. I think that's another thing that makes those players sort of come back because now you become relevant. You, you, you're in a space where you're comfortable and uh, you know why you're doing it. I mean, the, I, think, I think it's important. Uh, it's important to help the kids as mentors 
And for them to even see you going through that process of coming back and actually giving back into the game that has given you so much. And add energy. I, I, if you look at what Dwayne Vermeulen and Skulk Berger did. Ruan Pino. Skulk Brits, sorry. Ruan yeah, Pino. Pino and, now, yeah, it, it just added... Of course, it's all that knowledge. Of course, it, you know, it's a lot of experience mm. as well. But they bring energy, a different energy and a mm. different outlook. And all of a sudden, all the youngsters in the team know what all the clever guys know overseas. They don't feel like there's something out there that they don't know anymore. I think that the travel is very important because it opens up your eyes. All of a sudden, you've got a different perspective on how you see people and what's the motivation. And, and you, I mean, when you are starting playing your career in South Africa, you feel like, you have to kick the door down and and then you start to understand that actually you have to be part of something that can grow and and have something to 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 have fun memories about you know i see willem alberts coming yeah. back coming back to the lions back to his roots um he's of course a Joburg legend i don't know if you yeah, know yeah, about yeah. him he's monument he still has the record for having hit from the bottom oval having hit a six into the school swimming pool which is impossibly far <laughs> you can't even do that with a driver he wants to he's really famous on the west rand he'll probably he's coming back just for the final days again yeah. <laughs> I haven't I haven't I haven't seen him play I have to be honest in a while but uh, I think that's gonna uh, even if it's just for one season, uh, just just bring back and plow back and show the guys what you know and how uh, about where you can. And then if you have if if you happen to have a great season, stay on for another season. I mean, Scott Pritz does not for one second regret that he actually come to, came to play that one season and now at the World <laughs> Cup. That that's that's uh, I mean that's such a great story. You can shoot a docky on it. Talking about old talent there now, let's talk about some new talent. Last week, Friday, the first episode of the reality show Becoming Imbokoto uh, went on air. The, the show follows the South African women's sevens team as they travel the country to unearth new talent. Uh, it's quite an exciting concept from Paul Dalport and the boys. Um, we were at the launch function, Zamu, our producer, and myself. Uh, it was hosted by Castle Free and uh, Women's Health. I was, uh, let's call it networking, and Zamu took the microphone and got us some some uh, interviews there, including Paul, Coach Paul Dalport, Captain Zintle Mapupa, and Head of Marketing for Castle at AB InBev. Kudzi Matabire. Yes. You are part of the Castle Free family. Yes. You are part of the women's rugby family. Yes. And today we're at the launch of Imbogota, the series which which is highlighting women's rugby and, and doing uh, rugby selection differently. So our brand, Castle Free, is about freedom to belong. And we always say, you know, we want you to be free to be. Be whatever you want to be. And so the selection process has allowed us to venture into new parts of the country, you know, give people who've never played rugby an opportunity to play rugby and maybe find their best self. And you will see in the series, we have a mother of two who never thought she could play rugby. We have somebody who got sidelined by injury and we're giving her a chance to come back. The evolution of these women is really, really inspirational. And I hope that we can take it upon ourselves to learn from them and follow their path as well. Coach Paul Delport, that's, that's what you go by uh, nowadays. Coach Paul Delport of the Women's Sevens team. I spoke to you, uh, funny enough, a day ago <laughs> about uh, this money ball approach uh, where you, you're, you're not going for the average a average rugby player. You're going outside of the sports to look to bring people in. Um, I mean, the ladies that have rocked up for the show has been incredible. We've had Taekwondo fighters. We've had MMA fighters. We've had CrossFit ladies. I mean, we've had 41-year-old CrossFit ladies. 
that are fitter than 20 year olds so it just shows the talent of ladies out there and it just shows that we need to get ladies involved in this beautiful game of ours earlier you are leading the charge with these ladies you're looking to take them to the 2020 Tokyo Olympics qualifiers are coming up what's the game plan who are you targeting what are you looking forward to yeah. well I must say legend first up great chatting to you yeah. and the ladies are the ones leading they're taking the charge they have been absolutely phenomenal we've had a we've had a great year in terms of identifying talent bringing people in obviously now the focus has shifted uh, shifted a bit to the more important stuff um, so obviously looking to Tunisia for the Olympic qualifier um, our biggest opposition will be Kenya and Uganda they played at the at the uh, World Series qualifiers in Hong Kong this year so at least for us I think looking at it uh, positively we've got some footage on them we pretty much know how they play we know what they offer I was also able to watch them play at the African Cup, the 15s, mm. where a, a lot of those 15s players will be involved in the 7s. So at least we've been able to prepare well. Uh, very, very sad to have lost Alyssa Conley. Uh, stress she fracture. Stress fracture in her foot. But the 12 ladies that are going are quality, quality individuals. So very happy to have Zintle Nwando back. And then very, very happy to have Liska Latakhan and Megan Phillips making their, their debuts. Both athletes, um, absolutely incredible talents. Uh, someone like Carter Jacobs as well coming in. Just South African rower started playing rugby in March this year. So the talent that are, that's coming in and has, and has just added to our to our to our system uh, is very very exciting. You're the captain of the women's sevens team. You have the opportunity to qualify for the Olympics. How, how, how's the mood in the camp? We're very excited. So we just want to go and come back with a trophy, obviously. Um, the excitement and the vibe amongst the girls in the camp is very exciting. We just um, want to go out there and just show the talent now that and show all the preparation, the things, all the things that we did throughout the preparations. All of us just want to go out there and play. I mean, that's why we're here. That's what we want to do. We always wanted to play because we never get actually um, quite more games or as the other teams as well so getting opportunities like that we always want to make sure that we grab it with both hands and all of that so we're super excited remember the show is every friday at 8 p.m on super sport 10 um Bubs, you know something about this. You work with a couple of these uh, young women's sevens players coming through, don't you? Yeah, um, it's it's been a, it's been a good one to to sort of witness. I I, I think I'm I'm encouraged about how you sort of attract um, the the athletes, especially the sevens women. Um, I'm sort of pushed to the whole inclusive rugby. I think rugby has got such a big sort of role to play. Uh, so I've had a chance to work with Alisa Conley. The, the, she had a 21-year um, sprinting career. I mean, what an opportunity. I mean, she is quick as anything, lightning, but she's an explosive, explosive, explosive woman. And um, very excited about to seeing how she sort of grows her her, her game. Um, best of luck to her. I think she just had a little niggle. And best luck to the girls because they had the qualifiers in Tunisia for the for the Olympics next year, Tokyo, which is well so important to get as much talent into that squad. So best of luck to them. Well, that's it for this episode in the change room uh, brought to you by Bright Rock. Uh, Dear Val, thank you so much for that insight. I think still more to come from that. Johanna is a regular. It's always good, my friend.